You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I do. I think there are some guys that were really stepping forward and, and you know, organizing some some things on their own and, and, you know, keeping the guys on track. You know, I think in the back end, you know, DiCaprio Boodle has done a great job along with Deontay Williams, Markel Deschmuke. Obviously, Will Honus and, and Colin Miller in the middle have done a really good job. And then, you know, there's been some other guys, you know, Damian Jackson's been really good, um, as well as Ben Stilley and some of those other kind of older guys up front. But I think we've identified enough leaders to, to really do a good job this year. And welcome here to this edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. That was Husker defensive coordinator Eric Shenander on his uh, appearance on the Husker Sports Network this week as he broke down Nebraska's defense that could end up featuring seven senior starters in 2020. Um, and guys, we are moving another step closer to football as on Friday, um, mini camps will open around college football um, and those run until August 6th. The proposed start date for August fall camp is August 7th. Obviously, we don't know if the season is going to start on time or not. Um, you hear everything from an on-time start, get it going to, you know, I heard Rick Neuheisel on the radio um, here on Wednesday saying that he's hearing out of the Pac-12 possibly September 26th, a three-week delay uh, to the start of the season. But um, we're all kind of still trying to piece together what this season's going to look like. But you get the impression Power 5 football is moving forward and, and, and we could know more, a lot more, in about a week. Yeah, and it's encouraging that even some of the you know, more – pessimistic comments that were made when things really seem to be taking a turn for the worse there a week or two ago they're starting to maybe lessen up you know gene smith the ohio state athletic director uh talked about you know ohio state starting back up it's it's fall practices and you know he cautioned that he was still you know taking things day by day but you know he was at least saying some things that led him to believe he was optimistic they will play football this fall and there's been no conversations about moving anything to the spring so um you know as long as you know everyone in the big 10 as far as nebraska is concerned is on the same page and moving forward um you know it looks like unless something again sidetracks this whole deal uh there will be a season of some sort this fall and i know that is uh, music to the ears of many people listening right now yeah i mean i think that's the biggest thing is is everyone being on the same page and doing the same things and, and following the same guidelines and, and whatnot. And, um, you know, I, I think that – I think it's pretty clear that Nebraska is, is, uh, has been handling it pretty well and, and they're, they're geared up and ready to go. And, um, you know, I think the best thing for everybody is, is for the, these mini camps to start up and for things to continue to go smoothly as we get closer to the, the beginning of the season. Well, I think starting up on June 1 officially with the unorganized workout portion of the calendar has given them a lot of time to learn. Um, and, and, you know, the, the ones that didn't have the experience Nebraska had with having the players back and testing and monitoring, they pulled the plug and they, they, had, they would take reset breaks to try to kind of regather their pieces and chips. I think it was better that that was done in June mm -hmm. than late July, August. Um, I, I think everyone knows how to approach this. I think the most complicated thing, topic, continues to be contact tracing and how do you do that. And, you know, I, I even, you know, with Lincoln Public Schools here in Lincoln, just their process of contact tracing and, you know, if you're not wearing a mask versus wearing a mask, you know, the, just the protocols of how they determine contact tracing and isolating those people, um, how that's going to be measured and looked upon. Because, you know, I talked to somebody at Kansas State this week and they're like, 
you know, the most players we, we've had no, 27 players at all times or more that we've had a hell out because of contact tracing on people that test positive. And when will that be lax? I think that that's a really complicated issue as you bring this in. If there's a positive test, if everyone that's been in contact with that player has to also quarantine or, or what the protocols are going to be in those situations. Well, and for me, you know, what Rick Neuheisel mentioned starting the season a little bit later, that's where I think kind of it makes sense because there's the, going to be the whole other element of the regular student body returning to campus. And so that idea of contract tracing some suddenly becomes significantly more difficult and giving yourself a few more weeks, uh, even if it's just that to uh, evaluate and analyze and, you know, be to give you some time to, um, you know, adjust to any you know, future setbacks that might happen with that, uh, I think all for the better. And so if it does mean starting at the end of September rather than the beginning, and it gives you a better window to uh, be able to better handle um, a completely new scenario where, you know, you have your student athletes, um, not just within the football bubble, you know, you're going to classes, in-person classes with uh, regular students. Uh, I think that's a smart move that, you know, with a, a season that is on walking such a fine line, any, you know, further cushion you can give yourself seems a, you know, like a pretty advantageous move. So where are we at? So the Pac-12 is all conference games, right? Yeah, they're, Pac-12 and the Big Ten are looking at 10-game conference only schedule. They haven't said 10, but that's the proposed number. The SEC, talking to Roddy down at Georgia, they're looking at an 8 plus 1, eight SEC games, preserving then your one Power 5 non-con game, a nine-gamer. The ACC is looking at a 9 plus 1 where they, you know, the 9 kind of comes into play because of Notre Dame. Notre Dame has six ACC games on the ACC schedule. They're going to kind of count that as part of the ACC. Um, and then Notre Dame might add, uh, I know talking to Gene Williams at Florida State, there's a chance that Florida State might travel to Tallahassee um, as part of that deal. And um, Notre Dame go to Tallahassee or – no, or, or I'm sorry, or Notre, Notre Dame or Florida State go to South Bend is oh, what he said. Go, yeah. And, you know, I think some of that is to try to make this TV deal whole for everybody um, to give probably Notre Dame a very quality home game for NBC. And because I think this is what it's all about. How do you make these TV deals as close to whole as possible? And having a very good ACC team go to Notre Dame, you know, Florida State's that program, that gives NBC something that they can pay Notre Dame with. And, I mean, that, that to me is a lot of this right now. The Big 12 – um, you know, Kerry Murdoch, I don't know if he's accurate on this, but he said they're looking to play in all 12 games, which that would be a shock to me. I mean, I think yeah. 10 seems to be the most. Nine is kind of where the SEC appears to be at right now. Yeah, and, I mean, Bill Moose even said he wanted to play 12, but, you know, a lot of I times. I want to play 14, yeah, that too. That decision does, yeah. doesn't always, uh, uh, you know, come out of your control. But I, I agree, Sean. I think TV is the number one uh, most important domino right now uh, because of, how much revenue schools across the country are going to be losing, not only by playing less games, but um, probably likely having limited to no fans in attendance. And so that is a huge chunk of your yearly budget that is off the table right now. And so they need to preserve as much as possible of the number one revenue source, and that is those TV contracts. And so getting as many of those games in prime time slots and allowing the TV networks to uh, you know, capitalize as much as they can on whatever season we have is so critical to being able to keep these athletic departments afloat financially. Yeah, maximizing the TV deals. And, and I'm sure we'll probably even see schools get creative with advertising. You know, if there are limited amount of fans in the stadiums, you know, I'm sure that uh, you know there's, there's certain things you could do in Memorial Stadium or the empty parts that there would be to, to maximize advertising or whatever. So 
Um, that's going to be pretty pretty interesting to see how how all you know all that comes together. When Rutgers announced this week, and I thought this was actually encouraging that they said that they're only going to allow 500 fans. To me, that's like, all right, at least they're they're thinking about playing at Rutgers. Yeah, I mean, there was a real question about them even being able to play because yeah. uh, the New Jersey uh, legislation that went down about having public gatherings. So. Five hundred fan, and the, the, you know that that led to the great punchline joke. Well, then that's more than they'll have normally at games. <laughs> that joke has been worn into the ground. Oh, and <laughs> people were getting pretty fired up. The Rutgers play-by-play guy, Chris Conlon, who replaced Mad Dog Chris Russo on WFAN Radio. I mean, he was going off at people for making fun. He's the Rutgers play-by-play guy yeah. too, and people were getting pretty sensitive about the Rutgers jokes. But just having. That announcement, I thought, was encouraging. And I'm sure they looked at it like this. Look, if we don't play, you're going to lose this much money. If we play and have these testing requirements in place, um, hey, you know, we'll still get this amount of revenue and our school will be able to survive. So, I mean, that's a lot of this right now is survival. Well, yeah, and, you know, the big question is, yes, Nebraska is doing everything they can to play. I mean, basically every level of administration has said that. Uh, they're full go. But you got to have somebody to play games against. And so the more encouraging news you hear from around the conference is just as important as what happens at Nebraska, in my opinion. I mean, their idea of being able to find 10 games to play this year, I mean, you need that conference to do well. So uh, Rutgers was one of the biggest concerns in the league. And the fact that they seem to be operating, even if it's without fans, I mean, they're operating as if they're going to play that's a big step in the right direction when you're, I guess, one, theoretically one of the highest risk schools and one of the highest risk areas is moving forward. That's a very good sign for the rest of the conference. Yeah, at this point, who cares you know, how many fans are going to allow in to the stadiums yeah. as long as the season can, can start and, and you can get nine, ten games in or whatever the, the case may be. Well, guys, lots to talk about. I want to discuss high school football around the country, things we're hearing about who's going on time, who's not. Um, State of Nebraska announced they're going to go on time. So we'll discuss that. Uh, and we'll continue this discussion because I know so many people listening right now want to know, are we going to play football? What did these guys know? Well, we'll keep that discussion going. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. All, all reports we've got back from the strength conditioning staff have been um, really, really good seems like the guys have a great attitude right now moving forward. Uh, they've been excited to get back and play football and it seems like um, wherever they were at when, when they were here um, doing some stuff or if they were at home it seems like they've, they've done a tremendous job of keeping themselves in shape and getting um, stronger, you know, not even just keeping themselves in, in shape but moving forward with their development. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Ron Washington, A. Klaus. That was strength coach, or that was um, defensive coordinator Eric Shenander talking about just the strength and conditioning reports on the team. And Robin, Nate, let me tell you that that Twitter account of Zeus Zach Duvall has been hot. I mean, he's been lighting it up, um, trying to give Husker fans just a taste of some of the gains these guys have made in the weight room. And I think all of us, when we saw that Ty Robinson one, we're like, when's the last time Nebraska's had a you know, redshirt freshman defensive lineman look like that. The Ty Robinson, and I've had a few people say this to me. They're like, have you seen him lately? Have you seen him? And I, I just saw him, and I'm like, wow. Um, you know, so, you know, very encouraging, I think, when you see some of these gains. And we, we got to be careful. I know every July and August it's drink the Kool-Aid of the weight room time, and um, Jordan Riley is another guy that's looked really impressive. But it does seem like there, are, there have been some pretty big gains made as Nebraska gets ready to open up minicamp on Friday. Yeah, you you always want to take uh, strength and conditioning and weight room stuff uh, for surface level. But in this particular situation, given the circumstances that 
these guys have had to operate under over the last you know x amount of months i mean it's that makes it especially impressive not just the fact that they're throwing around weight but the fact that you know as uh, eric shenander said in the open guys aren't just staying in shape they're getting better i mean ty robinson the gain he's made from day one of fall camp last year to now are incredible and you see cam jurgens the transformation he's made and uh guys hitting the ground running like marvin scott i mean that like i said that twitter account is uh flowing quite a bit of kool-aid just in terms of the the state of where this team is physically uh the, i mean the fact that they've been able to make those noticeable types of gains and have guys in this level of shape despite all the limitations that have gone on uh with with the COVID 19 stuff that's a tip of the cap in itself and you know i don't think as far as nebraska is concerned you need to be worried about them physically being ready to play i know that was a kind of a concern of all this time off you know missing spring ball and, and all that you know what shape would these guys be in well by all accounts it seems like this team is not only in shape but um they seem to made have made some substantial gains over the last few months well and we we kind of talked about it in the spring you know if there's an edge to be found is it going to be you know the the work that they're putting in in the weight room maybe outworking some other players or other other teams across the country and you know, obviously that remains to be seen, but I, I think based off of what we've, you know, the little glimpse that we've been able to, to see into that weight room and what some of these guys look like, I mean, it looks pretty clear that, that they've they've been at least putting in as much work as, as anybody else or as much work as they, they typically do. Um, and I was, I agree with you guys. I, I was completely blown away by, by what Ty Robinson looked like. Um, not because I didn't think that he could look like that, but just the overall transformation um, in in less than a year's time has just been incredible. He looks like Shane Latimer from the oh, program. Exactly if anybody remembers like. that movie, he's the big defensive <laughs> tackle. But that, probably bigger. Yeah, that has the long hair. And there were some questions on the board whether Ty Robinson was the son of Zeus, and <laughs> we're still working to confirm. I have not been able to confirm that. I love that opening scene when Latimer is just like having just that. Starting defense, place at the table. Well, that's what he wins the job. But he kept, he has the big <laughs> off season, and he's just like completely roided out, oh, yeah. lifting that bar and screaming in the yeah. assistant. And coaches are like, holy, and and the head coach is like, hey, dude, what the weight room can do for a guy? <laughs> put on put on fifty pounds of muscle and an attitude to go with it. <laughs> Still one of the great movies. Our younger listeners are like, what are these old guys talking about? But if you haven't, I don't know if Netflix or one of those streaming services has it. Watch the program, and you'll know what uh, we're talking about. Offensive line too. You know, we heard Greg Austin this week talk on the radio, and that is going to be a a hidden strength of this team. I really, truly believe that. And um, they've kind of teased what that starting lineup is going to be. Cam Jurgens at center. It does look like Bo Wilson will go in as a starting guard, um, but they want to maybe limit him a little bit where he doesn't have to play 100% of the snaps. Matt Farniak, your your right guard. Ben Hart, probably your right tackle. And obviously, Hymas, your, your left tackle. But then the depth behind there is the best depth we've seen in a long, long time at Nebraska. I am willing to say that it will be by far the most improved unit on Nebraska's roster from last year to this year, uh, just because they have established players in Hymas and Farniok. You have uh, Jurgens be Cam Jurgens, who you know I think his potential is through the roof right now, just based off how far he's grown uh, over the past calendar year. Uh, and then the young pieces that are going to be the future of this line with Bryce Benhart and you know you talk about Bo Wilson rotating I think it's just a matter of time before Ethan Piper uh, eventually establishes himself uh, in the starting lineup whether it's this year or next I mean he, he's going to be the guy there uh, and so the, yes not, not only the, their top line talent 
is better, but they have bodies to go with it. And um, Austin, Greg Austin alluded that uh, Christian Gaylord would probably be working at right tackle to give more veteran presence behind Ben Hart. So, I mean, he's got Farniak lined up to him. He's got uh, uh, Gaylord behind him. And so, you know, these young, talented pieces are going to have a lot of experience coaching them Brock along Bando's the way. A, number, a solid number two exactly. guy. And so I mean, how do you establish a pipeline? You don't have to reload or replace everybody every year. You have guys that are coming up through the ranks, and that finally goes Going into year three, Nebraska finally seems to have that. Now, obviously, they need to translate it onto the field. Uh, you can't have the um, wide degree of uh, performance that we've seen you know, over the past few years, especially last season. But I just think on paper, looking at this roster and the depth chart, you know, the two or even three deep, this is as deep and talented of an offensive line Nebraska's had in several years. Yeah, I, I think that the, that group is probably – you know, Greg Austin would probably feel comfortable playing eight, nine, maybe even ten of those guys in that room. And uh, it's been a long time since I, I think <laughs> you could say that about Nebraska's offensive line. And um, you know, and, and to hear him talk about how Brendan Hymas is a potential All-Conference type of guy, um, you know, I think kind of is is music to. It's got to be music to the ears of a lot of Nebraska fans out there because it's been a very long time uh, since the Huskers have had somebody that was a first team or all conference lineman. Well, and you know, I've actually wrote about Brandon Hymas after that those first round of spring interviews because Greg Austin has been preaching Brandon Hymas for a long time now. This isn't just something that he realized over the past couple of weeks. He's been extremely high on Brandon, and the numbers that he put up last year are so much better than what people think. They think that Nebraska's offensive line struggled. Well, when it did, it was not Brandon Hymas's fault. You go back and look at the pro football focus rankings from last year, Brennan Hymas finished with the fifth best pass blocking grade overall of any offensive lineman in the Big Ten and the second highest among the league's tackles at 87.2. He gave up just two sacks and six quarterback hurries, which is the fourth lowest combined pressures given up in the conference, and that came over the span of 763 snaps, the fifth most of any Big Ten tackle. And when his career is over, Hymas will have played I'm, – I'm just going to take a shot here because I, I, I don't know anyone else that's – going to be a, basically a four-year starter over his career on the O-line at Nebraska. He'll have logged more offensive line snaps, guys, than arguably any lineman in Nebraska program history. Yeah, I mean, just the number of freshmen that have even played on the offensive line is limited. Yeah, very limited. And let alone started. So. Sla- Slauson would be up there. He played a lot of snaps. I mean, close to being a – he was kind of close to a four-year starter yeah. as well. Um, but there's been injuries. Like Hickman played early, then I think he, got, he battled some different mm-hmm. things here and there. Uh, but, yeah, you, you look at what they've asked this kid to do. I mean, he really wasn't ready to play as a freshman in 2017, and they just threw him out there at, what, 280, Nate, 275? Yeah, yeah, it was probably two, maybe 280. I mean, he was, coming out of high school, he was a little on the lighter side, which you know, which I, I think – Which is, is good, usually. Part of, yeah, it's part of the reason why they liked him is because they, they weren't going to have to get him into the program and – and have him shed 20, 30 pounds of bad weight. But at the same time, um, he, I don't think he was ready to, to step in and, and play a Big Ten schedule either, um, like most true freshmen aren't. But um, he, he, he's played a high level of football coming out of Texas, and I think that kind of helped the transition a little bit. But um, he certainly has, has continued to, to grow and get better and better every year. All right, I promise we're going to give some thoughts on uh, high school football in Nebraska. That's next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 
We all know that this this league is super physical, um, good competition week in and week out, and I think you're going to need you know you're going to need a good rotation whether through injury or just you know getting fresh bodies in there. You're playing some of these teams that are going to run the ball and try to wear you out. You need to get some fresh bodies in there, and I think that we've finally got the point where we can we can roll some of these guys through and keep everybody fresh. And welcome back here to the Husker Line Show. Sean Callahan, Robert Washington, A. Klaus. That was defensive coordinator Eric Shenander again on his uh, appearance on the Husker Sports Network here as they get ready for training camp and mini camps open Friday. But, guys, um, there was a big announcement this week by the NSAA, uh, the Nebraska High School Activities Association, um, where you know they made the announcement, we are moving forward status quo with the start of high school sports in August. This comes on the heels of obviously in some states like California that are not going to begin high school football till December, January, ending it in April. Um, you know, I, I talked to one Omaha athletic director this week, and he said we actually had a call from a California person that wants to move their kid to Omaha to play high school sports. Uh, because their daughter's a senior volleyball player, and this is going to screw up everything for her, um, you know, not being able to play. Um, so, you know, I thought it was a, a a smart approach by the NSAA. There's a big announcement still coming from the um, Omaha Public Schools on their plan starting August 3rd. There's been a lot of smoke that OPS could just say, you know what, um, we're, we're not going to play fall sports because of the risk involved. Um, they're already going to be in a remote learning 3-2 plan NSA gets kind of in front of that and said, this is the plan. We're moving forward with this. And it will be interesting now to kind of see what OPS and to an extent LPS. LPS has already said, as long as we're not in the red, they'll be playing sports. But OPS, August 3rd, will kind of make the next announcement. Yeah, I mean, it's another encouraging part to all this. Uh, I mean, I don't know if it necessarily has any correlation with the likelihood of college football, but, you know, certainly uh, from a regional perspective, to be able to give kids that opportunity, especially seniors that, um, you know, like you said, kids in California, they're having their senior seasons taken away from them. And, you know, to be able to just play uh, is such a valuable thing right now. And I agree. I think it's it's good on the NSAA to just kind of move forward. And until things happen otherwise that kind of force your hand to dial things back, then you just kind of make the most of the situation that you have. And uh, in the grand scheme of things, you know, we talk about all the disadvantage that, you know, kids around this region have. You know, look at look at the high school basketball tournaments that are going on right now. The exposure that kids in this area are getting, and now being able to play high school football. Uh, I mean, th- these are opportunities that not every kid in the country is getting. And so, you know, Nebraska is uh, certainly taking advantage of, um, you know, the the perks of being in a in a part of the country that has relatively kept this thing under control. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And I and I feel bad for the kids in California in particular where. You know, they they were some of those tweeners or or maybe those late bloomers that were really needing to be seen in the spring by college football coaches. Um, And and they had their spring evaluation period taken away from them. And now they, you know, and they were going to have to put up, you know, some nice senior film. And now that's kind of been taken away from them in the fall. Um, and, And I think it's pretty unrealistic to expect teams out there, college programs to to kind of hold back a couple scholarships to you know then evaluate in the spring and hopefully add players from california after that so i mean i just don't see that happening and so I, i'm not surprised to hear that you know, a parent from california is wanting to send their their son or their daughter whether it's to a an omaha player, high school yeah football player volleyball player whatever um you know, to somewhere where they can play in the fall because that's i mean that's 
potentially life changing for some of these kids who are relying on a, a sports scholarship to, to go to college. I mean, it's just different. We think things are shut down or, you know, tight everywhere here, obviously. And, you know, you compared to other parts of the country, you know, I have a cousin, Robin, you met her in Fresno a couple of years ago. She reached out to me. She goes, we're, Sean, we're coming to Nebraska for vacation because we just got to get out of California right now. It's just, you know, it's just a different mm-hmm. way of life compared to where we're at here. And, um, you know, the, just, yeah, the high school landscape, you know, Nate, you saw Florida announce they're going forward with high school, Florida, Georgia, Texas. Yep. Um, Texas. So, it's just such a weird dynamic across the country um, to see, you know, the approach. And New Mexico is not playing. They're going to play in the spring, by the way. Uh, New Mexico is, um, you know, and they have a Democratic governor there, a little bit different. You know, we have more COVID cases in New Mexico, but they have more deaths than Nebraska does by almost double. Um, so just different approaches being taken um, in politics, obviously, plays a big part in that in every one of these states. So, Nate, I'm curious, you know, with kids not only in nebraska but you know around the the area we always talk about the 500 mile radius you know for for nebraska football what does that do being able to actually evaluate kids that you would normally recruit as opposed to uh you know usc or whatever that aren't able to see kids in person maybe to the level that nebraska will uh from a just an evaluation standpoint how valuable is that well it's it's huge to be able to to see how a kid that maybe you've had your eye on since you were able to to go out during the contact period last you know last winter whether it be in december or january um and and then you weren't able to see them kind of progress or, or how they've developed in the spring so to be able to then watch them uh, watch their senior film to watch their first three or four games of their senior year uh, to see exactly where they're at in their development. Um, I mean, it's a huge advantage compared to trying to project somebody off of their junior film, what they may have looked like as a senior or, or what they, you know, how they may have developed or, or, you know, watching just um, a kid go through drills on a, on a Twitter, you know, 30 second Twitter highlight or whatever. So um, being able to, to actually evaluate the film is, is a huge advantage. Nate, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but can you imagine, let's just say this scenario of OPS said, we're not going to play fall sports because of the risk involved. Can you imagine just the transferring that would go on? Oh, man. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that would be the Wild West. It would be like, I mean, remember SMU when they, Pony, yeah. I mean, when they had like uh, coaches in the parking lot of SMU and yeah. it was like an open recruiting fair? I mean, <laughs> you'd have Bur- Burke, Burke Prep, Westside, you name it. They, they would all be out there. Yeah. <laughs> just try, I mean, because a lot of those, I mean, it would just be devastating. So we hope, I hope that they make yeah, the right call and because I don't if, if they did this and everybody else went forward with football it would never be the same mm-hmm. I mean these schools would have a hard time in my opinion recovering from that especially if they were able to go transfer and, and, and go elsewhere if they wanted to play athletics no question because you know that would set the the precedent and you know kids follow their friends their older brothers and their you know older friends and if there's a movement to go away from OPS schools uh, and those are positive experiences. I mean, that, that could definitely set the trend. <laughs> could you imagine, like, somehow, like, Frost organizes it where, like, all these OPS kids, like, go to, like, Wood River and just <laughs> make it, like, this dynasty <laughs> where they, like, win every game by 50? Well, that, That'd be I mean, that, could, that could legitimately happen. Not necessarily Wood River, but there's going to be, you know, if OPS did shut down, there's going to be some – some schools that would go from being, you know, maybe a good team to all of a sudden. Lewis Central over the river might get a few yeah. Nebraska I mean, <laughs> seriously, it, that, it, would, it, would, it would completely change things for a very, very long time um, yeah. if that were to happen. I even thought about it. Like, let's just say 
LPS did something like that. Like all of a sudden, like if Pius kept playing or Lincoln Christian or even Norris neighboring mm-hmm. communities, Waverly, yep. I mean, they would probably gain a lot of these class A guys that want to have a senior year, particularly. Um, so not a lot of good. I mean, I, I, I'm a big believer that it should be a parent's choice, a family's choice. Uh, on this matter, um, especially on something that really decides a guy's future. I mean, for some of these kids in an OPS school, a football scholarship at any level might be, you know, their ticket to life, you know, getting a college scholarship at NAIA or D2 or wherever. uh, The opportunities, if you take that away, um, that that's going to be really, really hard for me to 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 see the the reasoning behind it. Yeah, I mean, it's all about liability. You're talking about OPS probably being the the highest concentration of uh, people dealing with this virus in the state, and so you know they want to make sure they're not you know putting people at risk and setting them up self up for a lawsuit. That's basically what it comes down. Well, to. yeah, you look at the map of zip codes for Douglas County in six eight one zero seven. It's where I grew up in South Omaha. There's over sixteen hundred cases in that one zip code that encompasses Omaha Bryan and Omaha South with over a 30% positivity rate. I mean, that's the highest in the state. Mm-hmm. There's not a zip code in the state with any more than five or 600 cases. So, I mean, their, their dynamics are definitely a lot different mm-hmm. when, you know, a majority of Nebraska's cases are in that district. So um, we'll be, it'll be interesting to see kind of what OPS does on that front next. When we come back, uh, we're going to take your questions in the mailbag. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. <laughs> This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and A. Klaus. We had some good discussion here as hopefully we're moving closer to the start of football as mini camps open Friday here in Lincoln. Fall camp scheduled still for August 7th. Now it's time to take questions in the mailbag as we got a lot of questions here this week, guys. Um, and the first one, on that schedule, the Big Ten. What are the odds of football season, and when will this Big Ten schedule come out? Um, I still believe, at least from the Power Five perspective, the odds are pretty. I'd put them better than not having one right now. That there is going to be a season. I'd say 75, 80 percent. I feel like that confident that we will have some sort of a season this fall, not in the spring. And I think possibly late this week, but for sure next week we'll know a schedule. Well, you got to think it's got to come out pretty soon. Uh, I mean, right now. Two weeks. Yeah, we're tentatively starting in almost a month. So, I mean, it'd be nice to know who you're playing and when they're going to play, not only just from, uh, you know, logistics standpoint of organizing travel and all that stuff, but, you know, coaches got to prepare for opponents. I mean, you got to know who you're playing week one and when you're going to play them and what type of, you know. You're not going to have to worry about hotels being booked up in these towns. Exactly. So, I mean, there's just a lot of layers involved with college football that go beyond just playing the game and so there's a lot of preparation that needs to be uh in place and so the sooner they can get that out the better and it goes far beyond just the fans wanting to know yeah the coaches and the players have to just be itching to find out because (laughs) they want to start preparing and um and not so much the the players you know preparing for whoever they're facing in in week one right now but it's the you know the support staff that need to start breaking down film and and doing uh, those types of things and, and preparing um, you know, things for the, the coaches to, to start to put a game plan together sooner rather than later. I don't know why this makes me laugh thinking of the sight of all their like Cincinnati prep, just like ripping it up and throwing it away and be like, sorry, Luke Fickle. Yeah, no doubt. You're not going to get the chance to get the big upset win. You know, one advantage of opening with a conference game is Nebraska at least had a likely opponent that they'd probably spent the most time on. Well, in yeah. Purdue, I, I hope 
Purdue would still stay the opener. I mean, it makes a lot of sense to keep that the way it is. It's a divisional game. It's always been the opener. Both teams have been preparing for one another. I think there's a real advantage to Nebraska to play Purdue out of the gates because Diaco hasn't had a full spring to kind of implement. And Frost has gone against Diaco a couple of times when he was at Central Florida. So I, I like that out of the gates for Nebraska to go against a unprepared um, you know, defense of Purdue with a new defensive coordinator. Yeah, you would hope that they wouldn't need any advantage against Bob Diaco based off what we saw. But, you know, who knows? <laughs> Nate will bring that picture of the sweater and Diaco. <laughs> Hopefully he wears his... Uh, well, his Bobby, Bobby yeah, Diaco. The black shirt, like, line jacket that he wore. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> All right. Linen pants. Um, J.D. Spielman gave kind of his farewell goodbye. By the way, he used a great Husker Line photo in that Instagram post, Nate. Was that one of yours? I think it was. Yes, it was. So thank you, J.D., for the uh, the billboard of Husker Online on, on, your, yeah. on your posts as you left. But um, any thoughts going to TCU? I know we've hit on that a few times over the last month. That was probably where he was going to end up going. Um, but it kind of is what it is at this point. I mean, he, he left the program – in late Feb before spring ball and you know, the odds of him coming back at that point were slim to none. I think the bigger story to me remains clearly for Nebraska to cooperate with him on these waivers. He's going to need going outside the big 10 was a big part of it. Yeah. So for me, it makes sense. And then it doesn't make sense for a football standpoint. It makes sense. And like you alluded to Nebraska needed to cooperate and the likelihood of them saying, yeah, sure. Minnesota take one of our most productive wide receivers of all time. We'll sign off on that. No big deal. Yeah. That wasn't going to happen. So going to TCU, at least he's out of Nebraska's hair, you know, they won't have to face him. Uh, and you know, both sides can just have a clean break. What doesn't make sense to me is, you know, the whole issue of why he left Nebraska. You know, I mean, the, the reasoning of being closer to home around his family. And now he's going even further away uh, to the other side of the country uh, to play for, you know, a, a completely different staff that he doesn't know and all that stuff. And a head coach who's notoriously uh, very rough on his players uh, and doesn't, uh, <laughs> you know, doesn't uh, cater to players' needs very well. Uh, that just seems like a strange destination, but I guess it makes sense just from the fact that he needed a waiver. TCU was a fit that needed a wide receiver, and so you know we'll see where it goes. Yeah, none of it really <laughs> seems to fit all that well. Um, you know, and, and one narrative that I've heard, and I don't know exactly where it's coming from, or if it's or if it was completely random, but it was, well, did he leave because he couldn't get the help that he needed because of whatever mental health issues that he was dealing with in Nebraska? And, and that's completely not true. I, I mean, I know from firsthand experience. Um, that I, I think Nebraska's student athletes have more tools and, and resources. Four full time sports psychologists exactly. on staff. I mean, there's there's more than enough resources available for any student athlete, not just football players, but any student athlete at Nebraska. So, and again, that could have been just a random narrative, but um, yeah, I don't I don't think that's true whatsoever. Yeah, I looked at that statement as more him coming out publicly and then, you know, more of a case for his waiver he's going to need, yep. you know, that that type of statement. All right, question on uh, Francois and Henry Gray. Um, both left the program. Um, we won't get into all that. I mean, just didn't work out with either one of these guys here in the short time they got here. But the better question is, will Nebraska get those spots back? And it's not necessarily, Nate, 
that they want those spots back to get late additions now because the the pool for late players is not great. Yeah. But you know, you, you start to talk about it from a count back perspective. If you could get twenty five and twenty one, and then have two count backers, all of a sudden you have that hanging count back of twenty seven, where you could roll it over each year and have some additional wiggle room for transfer portal and other things down the road. Yeah, it gives you a lot more flexibility down the road. And and I think, you know, that's that would be ideal if they were able to to get those back. I don't know what to expect right now. There's a waiver in for Gray. If they get the waiver on Gray, then they can apply for Francois. Yeah, and and I would think that they'd probably have a better shot with Gray than Francois just because, um, you know, at least – at least with Henry Gray, he made it sound like he needed to get back close to home due to uh, some things that may have been going on surrounding the the pandemic. Um, and he did transfer back or announced that he was committing to, to FIU, which is just right down the road from where he's from. So that all seemed to, to align. But, um, you know, with Francois, I'm not sure uh, if, if, you know, what, what kind of case you could make to, to get that back. I think – you know, uh, I'm sure if Nebraska could do it over again, they may they may not, uh, you know, have taken that that commitment or, or pushed hard to, to get that one. They maybe maybe regret that a little bit. Can I get that hour back, Nate, on signing oh day, gosh. where I watched him at the table walking back and forth and leaving the room, yeah. and Gary Furman, our good friend at Kane Sports, providing. Yeah. I mean, think about that day. The entire Miami media core was at the high school there, thinking he was going to commit to Miami. Well, he'd already signed a letter to Nebraska in the morning. And then he still walked away from the table and went in the back room for like an hour. And the whole family had Nebraska T-shirts on the whole time anyway. I mean, the whole thing, yeah, that that alone that day was probably a red flag that we should have looked at closer. Yeah, should have known there's going to be some drama surrounding that one. All right, uh, time for two more here. Give me a newcomer of the year for you guys on either side of the ball. I mean, there, I think there's about three that you could go with, and I'll start with Omar Manning for yeah, myself. I think I mean, he'd, he'd probably be our, all three of our yeah, answers consensus, for offense. Yeah. Offensive. Okay, you, give me another name, though, that you would say. For offense? Or Any, for, anybody. So I think on that question, I answered Jordan Riley uh, just because I think he's going to play a lot. I don't know if he'll start. We'll see what happens with him and Damian Daniels. But you see the videos they're putting out uh, of him in the weight room, and you know, as we've talked – they don't just put random dudes on their social media account and highlight them like that unless they're doing something that is impressing the coaching staff. And so uh, he's already getting exposure in that regard. And the fact that, you know, Daniels has yet to prove that he's capable of playing the majority of a game just from a, a snap number perspective, he's going to have a role. And so I think that that's a, an immediate piece to that uh, center of the defensive line. Yeah, yeah offensively, I mean, I don't know if, if they'd be, you know, be able to put up the type of numbers that would warrant a uh, you know newcomer of the year award, but a guy like Travis Vokalek or Bryce Benhart, those are two newcomers that I'm really interested in seeing. Uh, defensively, Ty Robinson, uh, along with Jordan Riley. I mean, um, those are two two guys that I'm really really interested. See, to, I thought it was see. like 2020 guys, like first year players, yeah. freshmen. Yeah, yeah, newcomers on the roster, transfers or newcomers or freshmen. Like okay. first year guys, guys that well, just got guys here. that have not played. red shirts. So so it doesn't matter if they haven't played yet. They right. have to be just stepping foot. 2020 on recruiting class yeah. members. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, because you can win newcomer of the year as a red shirt. <laughs> I know, but that, the, how I answer the question is newcomers like okay. guys. Well, that join you guys the have roster. to you have to tell me what your rules are before <laughs> I answer the question. I think Jordan Riley though is a slam dunk on defense. I mean, otherwise, unless Nico Cooper or Feldarius Payne yeah, really. Or, you know, jump in and, and, and make an impact. I mean, I would, I would probably put Riley over those two personally, mm-hmm. but 
And then Alante Brown's another one. Yeah, I mean, yeah if you could probably Brown. pick any one of those receivers that came in. Yeah, they're going to be a guy. They're all going to one of those shot. running backs, Scott. Scott or Scott, Mor- yeah. hey Morrison. Morrison has added a lot of. He's, he's kind of getting body overlooked. Too. I don't know yeah, if that's I, fair. And I don't think it is. Um, I like Marvin Scott as much as the next guy, but I'm I still think that Savion Morrison is maybe the more dynamic player. All right, final question: best fast food French fry, and I am going to go with Freddy's. That's I, I like those small shoestring fries. That, that's my number one. I don't know. My number two would be. Um, you can't do number two. You can give us a chance to answer. All right. I'm gonna go the Runza crinkle fries. Ooh. I don't know what they do, but you know it's just a basic crinkle French fry, but it is so good. It is that would that would be my number one. Uh, but since that's off the board, <laughs> I will go with uh, McDonald's. Does a good French fry. It's consistent. I mean, it is very consistent. I'm I'm not a huge McDonald's food fan but their french fries are are pretty money now would five guys count as a fast food fresh fry are they more sure, kind of I, like I, a, think so. I think it would because yeah. they they hand cut them there I mean, yeah they, they are legit. they are and it's like fresh hand cut i mean they yeah. they take the whole potato and cut it right in front There's of you a so. girthy wedge yeah, i'll go is. arby's curly fries too are pretty delicious those are pretty good yeah they sell those at the store do they yeah they, you bake them in your oven huh i'll be dangerous <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that wraps it up for the mailbag. We're going to close on recruiting. Huskers get another commit now up to 14, and they're inside the Rivals.com Top 25. We'll get Nate's thoughts on that next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, the segment of the program, brought to you by our friends in Omaha at Coogler Vision. And, Nate, it's been Close to a year, you and I both went in and got our eyes examined at Kugler Vision, and you had the surgery. Uh, they told me I had t- my vision wasn't quite ready yet. I didn't need the laser correction. You got it. It's been a year. Uh, how's it gone for you, and, and what's the latest at Kugler Vision? Yeah, it's gone great for me. Um, it was it was so easy to get that that initial consultation, too, and, and I think that's something that, that people need to – to know is right now, I mean, you, you can go in and get the consultation. It's, it's basically a contactless deal. Um, you're, you're not, you're, no doctors are, are touching your, your face or anything. They map your, your eye and through those maps, they can tell you, uh, which uh, vision correction procedure is best for, for your vision. And, um, and I qualified, had the procedure done, uh, less than a minute on, on each eye. It was so easy and I'm so glad that I did it. Uh, you can go to Kugler vision com right now to schedule your consultation all right nate well nebraska i said one commit i got they got two commits it's been a very very busy june and july on the recruiting front in may for that matter as we've seen kid after kid have to commit to these power five programs sight unseen um, nebraska adds two more um you know in the last few days marcus buford uh, a prep school kid out of Connecticut, same school as Alante Brown, but originally from Chicago, then moved to Dallas, and then Malik Williams, uh, a defensive back out of Georgia. So three straight commits now for the Big Red in Travis Fisher's secondary. Yeah, and and that was a big, you know, big area of need, especially uh, given what what kind of transpired with uh, Henry Gray and and Jaden Francois here over the past few months, and and not necessarily knowing exactly what's going to happen with Nadab Joseph. So, um, you know, that that was, I think, maybe a position group in this class that, that w- 
kind of rose up the board as far as overall needs uh, somewhat. So uh, to add three really good bodies there, I think is, uh, you know, was, was a big deal for this class and it's starting to come together. Numbers are starting to become a little bit more limited. Um, the, the, the team ranking is starting to, to climb up. You know, they, they jumped with the latest commit of Malik Williams. They jumped from, I think it was 31 all the way up to 25 and, and they're only, I think, one commit uh, of a of a you know mid star or mid three star prospect away from uh, being like twenty one in the country. So uh, there's kind of a log jam as far as the the team rankings go. But um, you know, start with Marcus Buford. Uh, he's six foot, hundred ninety pounds, hundred ninety five pounds. He, he's he's played pretty much everything. Um, it kind of reminds you a lot of Alante Brown, who is, is somebody that he's friends with. They played on the same seven on seven team. Uh, when he they were growing up together in Chicago, um, you know he's played quarterback, wide receiver, linebacker, safety, corner, kick returner. I mean he's done everything. He won two state championships at Trinity Christian High School there in Cedar Hill um, after he moved from Chicago to, to Texas. And um, you know, and even though he had a lot of offers, he's electing to go the prep school route this year. Um, and I think just to, to become, you know, a better football player, to become, you know, to, you know physically mature a little bit more. Um, now, he doesn't need to, uh, but I, I think that uh, having seen Alante Brown do that and having it work out for him, I, I think that uh, uh, he felt like that was a, a good route for him to go as well. Um, and then Malik Williams, you know, same high school as uh, running back commit Gabe Irvin. Buford High School in Georgia is just a straight powerhouse. They won state championship last year. They're always in the hunt for a state title. They produce double-digit uh, Division One Power 5 guys each and every year. Uh, so to get another kid out of there is a big deal. And, and by the way, he's, he's six foot, 180, 185 pounds, really long arms, uh, tremendous athlete. And both guys are really physical. So uh, two really nice pickups. All right, Nate, uh, Nebraska now at 14 commits, quietly now inside that Rivals.com top 25. I mean, we kind of thought this would be coming, um, but, you know, this class has a different feel than past years. It's not heavy weighted by a group of four stars. It's a, a lot of really solidly ranked three stars, two four stars with maybe a chance of a couple more added in later on. Um, but this is this kind of a workmanlike class right now Scott Frost is putting together. Yeah, it is. And and I know that the lack of stars, you know, the, the, the casual stargazers are, are not impressed with this class. And, and they're not happy with how things are coming together. Um, but most of the people that are saying that, you know, I haven't necessarily – looked or paid attention haven't watched the film um, a number of these guys in fact I think the large majority of these these commits right now are players that Nebraska had very very high on their recruiting board if not uh, you know right towards the top or at the very top um, you know it, it is but it is kind of the complexion of it is different just in terms of only having two four stars at this point and then a number of of uh, mid to highly ranked three-star prospects um, but I really like it. I think they're addressing their needs. And I do think there's probably, I mean, you could probably make a case for, you know, two or three guys to get bumped from three stars up to four, and then probably another three or four players to, to go from, you know, being a lower ranked three star to a mid or high ranks three star. So, um, we'll see if that happens. Obviously, you know, uh, the people that, uh, that do that in our network, they need to see some senior film this year. And, and you know, not everyone's going to have that. But uh, I like the class, and, and I think it's only going to continue to get better. Nate, you look at numbers now with the latest defections of Francois and Henry Gray, 
Um, you know, we talked for a long time that 20 was kind of the high water mark. I mean, do you think this class now finds itself to about 22? And then there, there could potentially be room for up to four or five or six, you know, different acquisitions that Nebraska makes even after signing day. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I've, I've been kind of thinking that 21 was, was uh, the limit. And I think 22 is something that we could possibly see. Um, so I would be prepared for a class to be right around 21, 22, uh, depending on how things kind of play out here, you know, between now and, and signing day. But, um, yeah, I do think that, um, you know, it's, it's going to be a situation where Nebraska does have the the availability to add some some different pieces down the road too um and you know what depending on what happens with those waivers or the one waiver so far that they've applied for with getting henry gray's spot back um you know what happens with nadab joseph and you know is he going to get that 25th spot in the 2020 class or you know i mean there's there's a lot of different variables and it's always hard to predict exactly what that number is going to be when we're still six months out from signing yeah game. and i know people always want to know what's the number and it's yeah. and literally sean watson told me this years ago when he was recruiting coordinator and he goes it's fluid yeah. that number changes every day every minute it's never a lockstep dead number um as far as that goes uh, yeah, it, it does. It is legitimately um, a, a fluid number, sometimes by the hour. So um, it sounds like uh, Deb Joseph is going to be announcing his decision here towards the end of the week. Friday night at 7 o'clock. Yep. So, I mean, that's I, – I, I still feel pretty good about that. I think that Nebraska is in a good spot there. Uh, but, again, with these types of situations, um, you know, you – you never feel totally confident until the player is actually on campus and enrolled in classes. Well, lots to log on and follow. As you heard, Adab Joseph will announce Friday night at 7 o'clock. Um, but, you know, plenty to keep tabs on as well as the scheduling information and, and kind of what lies ahead. We should know a lot more by this time next week. Thanks again here as uh, make sure you log on to HuskerOnline.com. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.